Welcome, this is Lisa, where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness. So today we have Alex and Lisa on the podcast and we're going to talk about Alex's favourite self-care tools and Lisa's ability to find humour in even the darkest and most trying situations and how we can use positivity, gratitude, mindfulness and self-care to bring about happiness and success and loads, loads more. But before we get into the show, I wanted to thank our audience for listening and I want to let you know that you can take the next step on your journey by downloading my free ebook and you'll learn seven practical tools to build a solid mental foundation and get your drink and drug use under control. So you can get that by going to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash foundation. Now on the show, I want to welcome Alex and Lisa. It's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having us. We're really looking forward to this. It's nice to be interviewed for once. For it a while. is. It's like having to kind of sit back and be like, oh, I'm good to talk with the questions. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So to kick us off, I just wondered a question for both of you. What advice would you sort of give to the version of yourself sort of stuck in the madness, kind of drinking, and where were you at the time and what was sort of going on? Oh, you can go first. I love throwing her in the deep end. I can work out my answer while she's talking. Do you know what, in honesty, I'm not sure, and I don't know if this is kind of a controversial answer, but I'm not sure I would have taken any advice from anyone, including myself, um, back then. But if I would have done, it would have been that just to take every day as it's thrown at you, and when the obstacles come, don't make them too big. Don't make a bad moment in a day a bad day because it's so easy to generalize when you're kind of getting sober and say it's an awful week or it's an awful month when actually a few bad things have happened but you've not yet built up the resilience and the coping mechanisms to deal with them and it's just that the subconscious of your brain is so used to defaulting to masking numbing drinking that that's the only way you know and it comes and it comes slowly and it can be painful and it can be difficult but don't make mountains out of molehills if you're just feeling things properly for the first time so that that's kind of the advice I would give to my um drinking self um and yeah the other thing would be really practical like don't drink in disasters because I've had quite a number of disasters in my life and it's never helped me when I look back. I always used to do it, but it's never, ever helped. It's taken the edge off it temporarily and the problem's still there with a the hangover, with the guilt, with the shame. So that's kind of what I would say. I'm really struggling on this one, actually, of what I would say to myself whilst I was drinking because I was kind of so wrapped up in it and thought it solved every single problem. <laughs> and that's kind of what I used it for. So like Alex, I don't think I'd have paid much out of listened to myself. I think the main thing that I've learned is to is to trust myself and to be kind to myself. And and I think you said this as well, it's about sitting with feelings and stop trying to run away from them. I was a masker, so I would often mask my feelings. Every job I've ever had, I've had to be at the front smiling and pretending everything's all right. So drink just kind of added to that. I would soon become the life and soul and act like everything was all right and think that I had to cover up 
feelings like being sad or angry or no it's just learning to feel them and knowing that they will pass and you will get through them and drink it's just going to make it so much worse. Like, I don't, it's so obvious, I think, now, I'm over two and a half years sober, and that I, I can't even imagine now picking up a drink to deal with anything like that, whereas it was just the number one answer before. Yeah, do you know what I've always I think as well, and we've said this, when... When you're drinking, you don't realise it's okay to be sad. You kind of said it there. We always think that we're meant to be happy all the time. So if we're not happy, we think something's wrong. But actually, maybe something isn't wrong. They're just all part of what Lisa says is the human experience. It is. That's what really is a human experience and learning to deal with it. And like, yes, suck it up. Suck that sadness up. Feel feel that anger. You know, and... Something I'll tell you what I've got to do is watch it a lot more. So I got angry this morning. <laughs> and I did, and I had to kind of sit back and watch that feeling rather than reacting to it. Whereas in the old days, I'd have, I'd have drank it or I'd have waited and gone, like, yeah, she, she kind of like that around really angry now. I know this has been sent to me, telling me something about myself, so I'm just going to wait it out, I'm just going to see what happens, tap, 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 tap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's amazing, and like you say, being able to sit with those emotions is insanely valuable, being able to let them come and go. But you mentioned, Alex, some of the stuff that's been going on in your life, and I just wondered... If you could let me know a bit about your story growing up, what life was like for you. Yeah, of course. It's my favourite thing, this, to back over the past, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to pop off for a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up, my, my parents were kind of what you would consider regular drinkers back in those days. Um, my mum and dad owned pubs, they drank, my dad particularly drank very, very heavily, but in a, in a very functional way. So they owned pubs and clubs. My mum was a hairdresser, my dad was a professional musician. And a lot of their life and their job revolved around being in situations where alcohol was. So actually, I didn't notice that all their friends were drinkers, they were drinkers. It was tea time drinking, afternoon drinking, it was just a normal part of my childhood. Now, unfortunately, it did lead to some quite difficult times in my childhood with my mum and dad. However, they managed to somehow work their way through it. Um, my dad was taken very seriously ill when I was about 24, 25 years old. Um, and that was with, he had liver cirrhosis and reverse olivarises through the heavy drinking and the high blood pressure. Um, and he was given 24 hours to live. But as it happened, he came round and for the first time saying, I'm never going to drink again, meant it and stopped drinking. And he actually lived another 10 years after that, um, sober, completely sober. So I've witnessed firsthand somebody in like active addiction and recovery and getting out of it. During the same time, my mum also um, got sober to help him. So even though I've seen like, quite a dark side of that as a child, I also saw a real big success story. Now, little did I know that all the time I'm going, I'm never going to be like that, I'm never going to grow up in the same way as they've grown up, that I was entering kind of a binge drinking culture. 
um, through my teens. Um, Lisa and I grew up together, so we do a lot of that together. Um, and now I entered my 20s and went to university the same. So I was, my drinking went away from being normal to being kind of, I deserve it on the weekend, and I started to use it as a coping strategy. I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, I've been married, I'm on my third marriage. This is another um, kind of categoric thing about people who have got addiction issues, I think. Um, I've never found myself stable and happy. I've always looked for the next best thing, the next baby, the next holiday, the next house. And sadly, because of that, I entered two relationships that just weren't right. Um, I went through quite troubled times, particularly my second marriage, but I had two wonderful children from that marriage, so I can't really complain. And then remarried, and it's only since stopping drinking, even that relationship has been okay. Now, well, more than okay, I'd say that. <laughs> no, it has. It's, it's, I mean, when I say it's been okay, I mean, I've actually found that it's not necessarily been relationships that have been the problem. It's been my attitude to commitment, my attitude to kind of being immature and realising it's got to be give and take. Um, about two years ago, I had a miscarriage. Um, I was 40, it would have been my fourth baby, and that was my rock bottom. So I'd been through lots and lots of things that would take me all day to talk about, but that was my absolute rock bottom. So I went to the hospital uh, on the Friday for just a routine scan of what I should have been told was pregnant. And they told me there was no heartbeat and it only just happened. So I was, to say I was devastated, I was just shattered. I'm ne you know, you, you hear of broken people, it actually broke me. And I went straight from the hospital with, there was nothing they could help me with until Monday. So this was Friday. So I had this shame around miscarriage, which I can't explain other than people who have been through miscarriage get it. I had this absolute like disgust for, for the fetus, which I know isn't normal now, but I did. I was like, it's, I want it out of me, I want it gone. I know now it was because I just wanted the pain to go away, but at the time, I was just in a self-destruct, hateful mode. I went straight to the pub, and that was the start of what became a really destructive six-month binge drink. Um, and I just drank and drank. And drank and it was every weekend, started to creep into the week, started to impact my job, um, my job wasn't going well anyway, everything crumbled, everything just fell apart. And then, I won't say too much because Lisa's obviously going to say about hers, but Lisa had been sober for quite a while by the point at which, around the May time, I started to get a bit curious and say to her, I'm not happy, my mental health is absolutely shattered. I feel anxious, I feel scared, I feel alone. I'm, I'm thinking about dying, dying all the time. Not that I want to take my own life, but I just wish I wasn't here. I just didn't want to exist anymore. And she said, look, I can help you. If you want to give up alcohol and just take a little break, I can help you. So I, I kind of reluctantly said, well, reluctantly, I'm not reluctantly, because I wanted to do it, but I was scared. And I said, okay, I'm going to try and give up for 30 days. And I made that commitment 30 days, but straight away I knew I would never go back. Within the 30 days, it completely changed 
my life, my anxiety came under control, and then, of course, that's the journey, because getting sober isn't the journey, is it? It's the bit after. Yeah, no, exactly. That's an awesome story, and it's definitely had some ups and downs, um, and we'll get into the next bit shortly, but I just want to turn it over to Lisa and just ask a bit about Lisa's story kind of growing up and, yeah, what was your journey and how did things unfold for you? Mine was more later on, so I think um, a lot like Alex, we knew each other, didn't we, since like when we were younger. Um, my mum and stepdad had pubs as well, and that's how we met originally. So alcohol was always just normal, absolutely normal. You drank when you were happy, you drank when you were sad, you drank to celebrate, you drank when people came in to say, oh, I was a really good horse, I was taught to be a very good horse. I made the perfect gin and tonic when I was just eight years old. I was fabulous at it. Um, so it was just a normal thing. I never saw an issue with it. So it was obvious, really, that that would carry on into my adult life. So I became a mum when I was quite young. I was 19 when I had my um, first child. So I kind of stepped out of it a little bit. I got married, I had another two children, and that, for me, I was living my absolute dream life. I just always wanted, because um, there was stuff that went on from childhood, but unlike Alex, I like to leave that there and just kind of <laughs> carry on. Um, it's probably gone so well. It is, yeah. We're so different, we deal with things so differently. It's just fantastic. But, um, yeah, so I was, like, living the dream and I loved my husband and my children, my garden, my car, and then washing all oh, my washing powder. It was like, I used to walk around the housing estate, like, it was quite a posh one near our area, and I remember smelling a waft of washing powder thinking, oh, that's what I want when I'm older, that kind of house, that clean, lovely house. <laughs> so I had it all, and then... Um, Coming a long story short, my husband um, one day went upstairs to take the children's bed, and when he came down, he carried on out through the front door. Um, the children came down afterwards in floods of tears um, because he told them that he was leaving. He just failed to tell me that. So the first I heard of it was from my children, and it floored me. It literally floored me. It was like, looking back now, it wasn't him, it was my dream that he'd taken away <laughs> and I'd not noticed any of the cracks because I was so kind of swept up with everything, it had just become my normal. At that time then what I started to do was kind of revert back to my teens because I was a bit of a bugger when I was a teenager. <laughs> so now, like, in my, just before... Probably 28, 
then, I suppose, drinking took its toll on him and he'd become an alcoholic. Did I say that in the right way? Yeah. Is that like yeah. a really bad story? No, 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 <laughs> But yeah, he became an alcoholic. So without me realising, I then became a little bit of an enabler. And he would get a little bit um, aggressive when he was drunk. And for me to kind of get on his level, I found I was drinking more and more to kind of keep up with him. Meanwhile, my children are growing up. They became teenagers and my younger two um, started to become very wild themselves. And I was kind of distracted with everything that was going on at the weekends. I thought it was all right. I was going out with my friends and it wasn't. And uh, it got to a point where I left. I had to leave my husband. My youngest daughter had got into, um, what would you call it? Yeah, like a, re- yeah, <laughs> a very bad crowd. And in my area, there's a lot of criminal exploitation. And she kind of got into this crowd. So there was a lot of missing from home. There was a lot of police. There was a lot of um, social workers that got involved because of the crowd that she was in. I was kind of going out at the weekend to numb myself from all the shit that was going on, from my husband leaving and my kids driving me wild. I didn't know how to how to get it all back together. I kind of lost control of everything. And then after a major night out on a Sunday night, going out, arriving in somebody's kitchen, waking up with an absolute massive hangover, Begging um, my daughter for some water in the morning and be like, listen, I've got to be off to school later, so just get me some water, just get me some water. I thought, you know what, what am I doing? Enough is enough, like, sort yourself out, Lisa. And that day, I decided to take a break from alcohol. I thought, I just had it. It'd been coming for a while, I kind of felt like I weren't fitting in anymore. You sad, weren't you? I was just sad, yeah, it just went all wrong. Everything was was kind of just rolling wasn't it and, yeah. and just going worse and worse and I just thought I can't do this anymore and I just thought I'm just going to take a break and I set out and did a 100 day challenge and I put it on my Facebook that I was going to stop for 100 days uh, which was a massive challenge because I didn't realise I'd got three holidays booked in that time and my birthday but I'd said it and I'm stubborn so I had to do 100 days and it was, and it was the best thing I ever did. Sorry, that was kind of a jabble way. <laughs> well, that's kind of my story. <laughs> yeah. No, that, it all made perfect sense, and it was again another just in, inspiring and enlightening story. Now, I just wondered what the intersections were. Like you say, you're both best friends. How did it kind of work together through both your stories? Where were the kind of overlaps? And I guess what was it like seeing the other one go through what they went through? You know what, that's a really good question, actually, because, like Lisa said, she had had a baby young, but I got married young. So even though I didn't have children, we were both playing house. That's what we were doing. We were playing house at the same time. So I am Lisa's eldest child's godmother, and she'd bring the baby round, and we'd be all like, oh, look at us all grown up. Let's try a glass of wine. And you're like... So, and as teenagers, that was perfectly, we were perfectly aligned, we were experimenting. Um, and we did have a kind of separate period in our 20s where our lives just went off. But then we kind of, kind of came back together around our late 20s. Now, by this point, I was 
in marriage number two and Lisa was in marriage number one. And what we failed to tell you is I moved out to Cyprus um, with my husband and with two of my children who were then very young. And because we got so close during that time, Lisa, I'm going to come out and see what it's like. So Lisa and her husband and her children also came out and we lived fair distance away. Yeah. But we, we used that. Basically, we had, um, how long did you say for about three months? Yeah. And we had the three month holiday, is what we did. Um, we just went out all the time, we were a bit reckless. Looking back, we both knew there were problems in our marriage, but we were going out, it's just then, forget it, we're going out, we're going out, we're going out. Um, and then, separately, because I was still in Cyprus when Lisa's marriage broke down, mine broke down at the same time. So, actually, we both gave each other a green light, we'd make sure our children were looked after by the dads on the same weekend. And we're getting drunk together on the other weekends a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. time. Um, and we kind of stayed fairly aligned. So there was absolutely no way when Lisa got sober that I, we've always been friends, but I don't think we've had the same bond that we've got still if I haven't also stopped drinking. She, she's not really my reason, but I am. <laughs> Because Lisa had no one sober, so she did a reach out of like, you know, 
post on Instagram and from Manchester and a couple of other girls did as well and they decided to meet up and on that day Lisa like I'm sure with them but I'm going to say Lisa because this is what I believe <laughs> Lisa would like designed a logo no we did we did it all together actually no. <laughs> you've done the I'm sure we met as a coffee and by the end of that coffee we had the full plan of how we would connect connect in Manchester yeah. really, so. a social group work and then obviously I met Joe through that so the three of us have come together with the sober experiment and with the sober to form our now community interest company yeah, awesome, awesome. And yeah, so interesting to see that intersection um, and how you're both sort of together when you're drunk a lot and now both together um, in sort of recovery and being sober as well, which is awesome. And um, yeah, I take clients through my 12-week recovery program, but whenever they go through it, I will send them these podcasts. So I wondered if you could give uh, our audience and the clients an insight into what tools you use to sort of get things under control. You both mentioned um, a time period sort of experiment of 100 days and 30 days. Was there anything else that helped you sort of in those early days um, and any self-care, anything like that? Massively for me is mindset and focusing on all the good things and the amazing things that sobriety brings. I believe that we have a choice each and every day of how we want that day to go. <laughs> and um, there were just so many good things that I could focus on, like whether it was just waking up with a clear head or a, and just focus, focus, focus. I started meditation classes quite early on. Again, I started that actually as a way of trying to connect with people. And because there was so much going on in my home life with the children at that time, it gave me that one hour class a week, gave me that time to just switch off from everything and focus on something else and learn a new skill. So, for me, meditation, mindfulness, self-care, again, another thing, so even going, what I would have spent on alcohol, I would go to, like, a store and buy myself, like, the face mask and creams and treating, oh, yeah, I've got obsessed with tea, like, tea's an actual thing, right, it's not just techless tea, it's like... There's like all these and loose tea and tea cups and tea pots. Like, so I'm, I'm laughing because I just can't, I can't think of anything more boring. <laughs> no, I loved it. I got like this. I, I went on a, when I said probably the holiday and I didn't expect, so I went on my first sort of holiday and on the way back, I'm not lying, I spent more at the airport on all this posh tea and special cup than I have ever done on gin and vodka in an airport. I cooked tricky so funny, you can tell me outside and it's like cups I'm not allowed. <laughs> she'll say do you have a coffee and then like 10 cups will come out and I'm not allowed and then we'll be when she comes in I see her like kind of look down at the mug and I'm funny but you put an egg on morning gorgeous I know I used to love a nice laugh when I drank and I think that hasn't changed it's very important the vessel is very important <laughs> so honestly for me it's completely opposite right? it's about it's about audio books, but not like oh, yeah. little audio books and a podcast. 
we saw a different reason why, and I'm not going to be the It's interesting to see the differences between, like you say, your different approaches and that sense of, uh, yeah, the things that you both enjoyed. But you both mentioned books and uh, the different approaches to books. I just wonder what books you'd recommend um, either or both of you uh, for anyone that's in kind of early recovery. Oh, yeah. Alcohol explained for me all the way by William Porter. That was the one that did it for me. Um, I did bring down Grace's This Naked Mind. Um, I think I kind of half read that, if I'm honest, because that was just in the curious stage. But definitely William Porter's Alcohol explained. Um, and another one I really, really love. Um, I love Lotter Dan. Mrs. Yeah. Um, D is going without. I haven't read Mrs. D is going within. I believe that's another good self-care one. Um, and then her most recent one, the wine o'clock mist, which I'm loving because it absolutely demolishes the alcohol industry and how it's targeted at women. And I'm only a little bit of the way through that, but yeah, I'm loving that. They're, they're my main recommendations, I think. My first was The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray. Now, that gave me an insight and helped me realise that I wasn't on my own so it wasn't necessarily how to quit but a really good insight into somebody else's life where you can go oh I'm not that bad <laughs> I'm going to give it a go so I really kind of um, enjoyed that one and the Sober Diary by Claire Poulet loved it really loved it it helped me realise that you could stop drinking and still have fun and so yeah, really enjoyed that. But then again, then I went on to kind of the self help ones. Um, the universe has your back, and um, the most recent one, 
you're not that trapped, addicted child that you kind of became. You're, you're someone else, and I think that's their kind of tools and tips that Lisa's given me is about how to learn about myself and how to discover myself. It's been that they've been it for me. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And Lisa, you mentioned the lady uh, from Slimming World. Um, <laughs> No, no, that was a really good answer. She went like this one, she can do it, I bloody well can. Yeah, but that's what I love about that example is because it does show us that it doesn't have to be some famous, magical person. It's the simplest thing and it's kind of like that one minute mile. No one could run a one minute mile and then when Robert Bannister did, everyone suddenly could. And it's suddenly that click, wait a minute, someone can go a hundred days without drinking what is that about? I can't even go one day. So it just gives us that sort of insight that, wow, this can be possible. And it is that kind of one minute mile in our mind. Would you say that's kind of correct in a sense? I'd say, yeah, definitely. So really, think about it, it was a mixture of things like that. So going into social media groups and seeing other people's achievements. Like, I love our private Facebook group because people show that and I think it's really important that some people are frightened of showing how well that they're doing, you know, they feel like they've always got to be yeah, 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 and it's all right to be living your best life sober, it's okay and I think, yeah and just watching other people succeed for me is just a massive, massive inspiration. Can I also ask that if anyone would have said there's no way Lisa can do it, she's doing it? Yeah, I do do that. Tell me I'm not doing it, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> it's stubbornness, it's got me into massive trouble, but it's really, really helped me in this because it was my stubbornness that got me through that 100 days. It really, really was at times when, the, and I could have, Craved or gone or you know said oh stuff this I'm going out it's ridiculous but because so many people were like you stopping drinking I don't believe that for a minute and that really really kept me going so it's kind of trying to find that fire in your belly and if it's stubbornness then it's stubbornness but commitment and accountability is so important which things like what you offer are really, really good for people because that's what it is for them, that accountability, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to find what motivates you, you know. I know this is simple, carrot and stick. Some people are motivated by the goal and working towards the goal. Other people are motivated by the regret and the shame. And I don't think there's the right way of doing it. You've got, you know, it's either moving away from the regret or moving towards the sobriety. You've got to find what works for you and what drives you. Because we're very different in that as well. So, yeah. Awesome. And I just wondered for each of you, what is the most worthwhile investment you've ever made in your life? And it could be an investment of money, time, energy, or some other resource. And how did you kind of make the decision? Do you know what I'm going to say? This is dead cheesy. It's really cheesy, but I was going to say the time we spent on creating our sober experiment, that's what I was going to say. And then I thought, well, no, because it's not that. It, it's, how, it's the investment we made in our friendship, I think. And I think you can both kind of think of it is that. Oh, that's really bad, because I was going to say my mom. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she was 
experiment what are you both up to on a daily basis and the amazing value you provide we never stop do we now you know what like and this is something that's really important i think people it's so easy to put sobriety as being a pink fluffy cloud that's full of positivity and full of joy and yes it is that a lot of the time but don't ever get all into that false insecurity that life comes perfect when you're sober because life still happens you know just to put that in perspective i had the second miscarriage back in June, just this year, doesn't stop things like that happening. But the way you cope with it is so much different when you are sober. Um, I think in terms of our friendship, that's stronger than ever. Yeah, definitely. We have more arguments than ever. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you know what it is? I think when you stop drinking, you become really like a little bit more stubborn. <laughs> because you think, no, I know what I'm talking about now. Because I'm not drunk. What I'm saying must be right. And you're so awesome. No, no, you don't settle for stuff. But I think in terms of like what we're doing with being sober, because there's three of us now, we're all coming from really different directions, which is fantastic. So something that's massively important to me is actually the staying positive, is finding your being fluffy cloud, is focusing on all them things and the connection with people and bringing people together and that and supporting that way. And Alex, on the other hand, you kind of coach and trauma victims. And I do a lot of work, we both do a lot of work with a coach, the National Association for Children and Alcoholics. 
we've got volunteer for those, which is going to be our training. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of work kind of in that basis because that's my background. And then Jo, um, she does a lot of work, well, she's starting to do a lot of work, hopefully, around sexual trauma because of her life experiences, which she won't mind me saying she has shared. Um, so between the three of us, what's happening right now is we're able to bring her support but also a social community of like-minded people into the sober kind of sphere. I don't know if that's the right word. I don't know the right sober sphere, but, you know, into this kind of... We bring kind of a new aspect. We're kind of the in-betweenies. For, like, for, for the people who maybe don't think I'm an alcoholic and the people who kind of have issues once a month drinkers, we offer that support and connection. Just people are thinking, you know what? Alcohol doesn't need to be in my life anymore. That's who... Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned about both, you know, doing your training and helping children of alcoholics. What has that journey been like? And both kind of having children and also going through the training. How is that, yeah, multifaceted, um, yeah, sort of approach and just uh, perspective look like? On my side, it's been one of the hardest things actually that I've done because. As we said before, oh, I hate going back. And, and by going through the training, it triggered a lot of memories for me that I've kind of thought I'd say to put away. Um, and also, it, it kind of triggered feelings of what my own children perhaps saw and heard and went through while I was living with an alcoholic. Um, so it, it was very, I found it really, really difficult. In fact, I said I didn't want to do it anymore and I was quitting. <laughs> and I told her that she's not quitting and she didn't. <laughs> and that's true. I found some aspects of it very difficult. But the work that they do is just so important. It, it really is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, really honoured to have actually spent the time with everybody on that training to have done it because yeah, you know, it's always as well. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, you know, from my perspective, we, like we said, I always lived in quite a lot of, uh, not bitterness, but certainly when I was drinking, I was very angry with what happened in my childhood. I felt like I had things taken from me. Not even wrong, I wasn't abused. There was, you know, I witnessed some maybe domestic violence and things like that. Um, and I was one of the lucky ones. My parents came through it. My dad ended up being sober. My mum ended up being sober for that time. Um, but I think what you do realise is how different everybody's childhood with alcoholic parents, everybody's childhood experience is, you know, you're not always stereotypical. I am not victim. I'm not that person who hasn't come out of the other side because I maybe had a different adult to talk to. Even though my parents drank, they were very loving parents. So I think you realise the diversity and you realise it's okay to talk in that way. Um, one thing that it's really taught me is how to tell the story about my dad whilst maintaining respect in the public eye for him. Because one thing I would never want to do, and I have done it a couple of times by accident, is not shaming, but make it look worse than it was. He was bad. He was really bad. But I loved him. I still love him, and, and I, I found it really hard to get that across early on. Now I think I've got a good balance of having that respect. So 
I think from a personal perspective, it's taught a lot about ourselves as well. Yeah. But we do a lot of work. I mean, you know, the, the helpline is open all the time. It's completely volunteered. Um, the, the, it's completely anonymous as well. It's one of the only charities that doesn't give any information about the callers anywhere to anyone. They really amazing work um, absolutely amazing um, and just to be able to give back and support um, kids in that situation I haven't been in that situation myself um, yeah. I, I, I guess I can say I truly appreciate what you do um, it is amazing and uh, in terms of be sober what um, where is that kind of heading what's next for you in terms of be sober what's, what do we have uh, to look uh, to in the future so we've got quite a few things going on actually. We've got kind of your coaching, which is a, a very big part of it, and Joe's just trained to be a coach as well. Yeah, the sober experiment is still there, which we, we just saw how the sober experiment because we made that 30 days hopefully fun and interesting, and it's all about mindset. And by the end of the 30 days, it's not about going out and getting plastered afterwards, it's that we will get to that point and think, actually, I don't want to drink because it's not going to bring anything to me. It works, it works, it does it's work. so surprising. It works for other people as well, it works for us, and it works for other people. The other thing is that we were really proud of actually is we've introduced some solar lenses and dropping sessions. So at the moment they are on done by Zoom. Um, so people can join these, they can get support. It's just a really good way of connecting with like-minded people. And the dropping sessions are kind of about setting intentions and goals for the week. Everybody's welcome to these. And we're looking into kind of a membership. What we would love to do is eventually be able to offer all of these sessions free. free. Um, so we, we're, in the program, we're looking for funding, aren't we? Yeah. Because everything we do at the moment costs. Yeah, it costs a lot of Everybody's sober. <laughs> We do, we love it, but we, yeah. um, we do love it, but at the moment, because we, can't, we haven't applied any funding to be fair, we've only just got community interest company status, and with that now allows us to start opening this up for some different funding streams, and it will, just open it up, it'll mean that we don't have to just have this as a hobby anymore, we can actually go out and, and help people. 
and we've just got um, some, we've just brought some mer merchandise out actually, so that can help fund things a little bit, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, the reason we did that is to bring some money into the company so we can run more support groups and things, so, yeah. Excellent, well what Lisa and Alex are doing to all of our audience is amazing, to so go and buy some merch and if you're a funder listening, make sure you send them an email 100%. Oh, thank you, Luke. <laughs> And is there anything else um, that you girls wanted to add that was on your mind that helped in terms of recovery or any resources or any places you want to send any of our audience? You know, um, obviously people can find us on Instagram and on our website, which is www.soberexperiment.co.uk. We'd love people to just take a look at what we do. We are opening a new website in January, which will be www.besoberofficial.com, where all the community interest stuff will go. So again, a little look in there would help. Um, I don't think we need to add anything, but what we would say is, you know, by giving us the opportunity to do things like this, Luke, and come on your podcast, that offers support to so many people because it just we know we're not for everyone do you know what I mean we yeah. know that but as a community the sober community is just such a lovely place to be and we all support each other and we all find it easy to pass and say we can't help you but go and see Luke or go and see such a body so yeah I think Thank you, really, for giving us the opportunity to be on your podcast and for interviewing us and allowing us to just talk about so many things. I know, I'm really sorry about that. I feel like we've just kind of bombarded you. We've not got to that point where we can tell certain bits about a story. It's just too big. Too big. <laughs> we could go on like for days and days and everyone's like, turn them off, turn them off. <laughs> Thank you for putting on with us. <laughs> no, it's an absolute pleasure and myself and the audience I'm sure have really enjoyed it. And yeah, you've been both uh, absolute bundles of joy. It's been such a pleasure um, to have you both on the podcast and yeah, just to hear your story and both your stories and what you're doing is inspiring. Thank you. We can't wait to hear yours, Luke. So yeah. I am really looking forward yeah. to um, getting your answer. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, to all of the audience, I'm going to be um, on the girls' podcast soon. So I'll also link that when it's done in the description as well. Um, so they'll be right in for trouble then. They'll have all of our perspectives. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fantastic. I really can't wait. It's been lovely to meet you. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, thanks very much for coming on the show. And to our audience, thanks very much for listening. And please remember to subscribe on iTunes and we have weekly episodes every Friday. And make sure you leave a rating review to help us find more people in similar situations to you. And if you love the episode, which I'm sure you did, please share the podcast on Facebook. And as always, thanks again for listening. And I wish you well on your journey in recovery.